Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Seaspire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 185, and today we'll be talking about the March 26th episodes, also known as Steven Torpedo 2. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So uh, anyone who listened to our episode last week will know that we watched the promo, or the Season 5 recap, as Cartoon Network is calling it, and uh, talked about the episode sight unseen. I'm a little bit disappointed about how accurate we were. I mean, obviously we got stuff wrong, but I I had been hoping for that to be a bit funnier in retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot of stuff right. I felt like my vision of the episodes was a little off overall. I definitely thought they were going to feature, if not directly, more dramatic events and and things like that. Uh, It didn't even really suggest, like, there wasn't a build-up or a cliffhanger on these episodes of something to come next. We're not really uh, left wondering what the two-parter is going to be or anything like that. It was way more towny episode type style than I was expecting. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad they found a way to work in the towny episodes because I really, I really enjoy all of those. So to get three of those in a row was great. I did like the vibe overall. It's been a while since we had a Steven Bomb or Steven Torpedo, that was this relaxed, really. Everything's been, like, five-episode, hard-hitting, you know, start, middle, and end, where now is just kind of different stories from across Beach City. Uh, it was nice. Yeah, I like that I like that Sadie Killer and the Suspects is getting its arc from their early origins, and Sadie Killer to just that brief mention in Lars of the Stars, and now we're uh, monitoring their ascent into stardom. I also really liked that finally Greg's money made sense in an episode to be used. Like, actually having Greg be their manager and putting money towards their band is like the most sensible thing that has happened since Greg became a multimillionaire. It is really perfect, actually, that they were able to tie in Greg's whole musical background with this. Like, I wonder how far in advance they were planning having Greg and Sadie and the Killers all together, because it just works out so nicely now. I'm pretty sure those tuxedos were the first sensible thing he did with that money. (laughs) And yet, Stephen couldn't get his khakis. After all this, Greg's out spending money, but where's, you know, where's the universe family first, you know? Those wouldn't be his khakis. His khakis are lost. Forever. Ugh, it's hard to think about. So, uh, as I kind of figured, based off of the thumbnail... The Your Mother and Mine episode had the flashbacks. All of the flashbacks. Every last one. And eh. Do we understand what the title is still, really? How that ties in? Your Mother and Mine? I mean, obviously, it's Your Mother, Stephen's Mother. I don't know how it's Garnet's mother. Like, maybe she was also very important to Garnet's development. Yeah. It's kind of a weird episode title. Yeah, my my enjoyment of the flashback is kind of hampered because I'm just sitting back here wondering, okay, how much of this is actually accurate? So true. After we had all the up colors go through their version of the story, you can't help but think that Garnet's was also off. Yeah, I heard this. I heard this. I heard she's not even real. Garnet's like, oh no, let me tell you the real story of Rose Quartz the Wise. <laughs> and yeah, it's true. It's not a story that Homeworld would tell them, but like... Yeah, she's also telling Stephen that, oh no, Pink Diamond is totally dead. Like, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why Garnet passed over that so easily. 
Let me put this gun hanging back up over the mantle. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what? That's Chekhov's gun? Yes. Yeah, so... I don't know. I was also off-put by Steven just beaming, smiling at the end after Garnet, you know, described Pink's shattering. That was totally uncharacteristic. <laughs> I have no idea how that got approved. I'm, like, actually genuinely disturbed that... No one thought that Steven should look different. He looked way more troubled after they all started walking down the stairs. Why was Steven holding his stomach after... Mm. Oh, because they were talking about the fact that Rose Quartz was still defeated. But, oh, there's still hope. Like, if anything, yeah. Steven should have been inspired by that speech from Garnet instead of, and we killed Pink Diamond. Like, I don't know. It was totally weird. Yeah, maybe maybe a little. I did like, and near the beginning, I missed it, I'm pretty sure she said it in the promo, but just the diamonds being described as unique in their flawlessness. Um, I mean, we always assume that diamonds are flawless just because of the type of rock they are, but uh, it'd be interesting to know what else the gems understand about the diamonds. Like, they all assume that they're just the highest in rank and the highest in power and they're the leaders, but like, what does it mean for the diamonds to be flawless, what would they say qualifies them to be powerful? Because it's not just that they are uh, the most magically powerful beings among the gems, but that they're somehow better than everyone else. I think that the diamonds, they're they are all about enforcing the order of the diamonds, and the order of the diamonds includes the diamonds are leaders. I'm, I'm not even sure that this is a choice that the diamonds have made. I sometimes get the sense that this choice was made for them. Like, there's no idea in Yellow's head when she's talking to Blue that, you know, you, you you can not be a leader if you want. It's like, no, you have to be a leader. That is your job. Which is, you know, maybe some of that will be answered by seeing White Diamond or not, if she's really the head honcho in creating this whole hierarchy. But, yeah. You did mention the promo, and I wanted to bring it up last week, but I forgot. But they did the Crystal Gem motto at the beginning, you know, the whole fight for... You know, fight for that love, that that whole spiel. Mm-hmm. Defend the humans, even the ones you don't understand. We first learned about that in the, what was it called? The Guide to the Crystal Gems? Oh, yeah, that was an official motto. So it's it's nice to see them work that into a promo. I wonder if that'll be in an episode somewhere. Yeah, you're right. That speech didn't make it in the actual episode, but I forgot that it was part of the guide. Hmm, that's funny that didn't stick out before, because it's actually a pretty cool motto to live by. But, um... Yeah, I, you know, speaking of that message of inclusion and love again, I couldn't help but feel that, and this happens every time there's a rebel group fighting against someone else, but the Garnet's message is sort of inclusive yet exclusionary. Like, there's still villains in the story. There's still the diamonds. There's still the others, the home world that they're fighting against. And I'm just wondering where the story goes with that as far as, you know, Steven's got a really big heart. Is there room in Steven Universe? to reach out and love to the diamonds and stuff? Or does the story stay one that... Because, like, in Garnet's mind, that's completely a closed-off possibility. But I wonder if that's still something that's integrated in the story future on, where it doesn't just keep being this fight that the Crystal Gems are going to win, but that it's something Steven does that changes the gems as a whole. Which is maybe part of what Rose was thinking all along. Um, but, yeah, I'm wondering how far they really take that message of love in this cartoon we'll see 
Well, Steven Universe definitely isn't the kind of show where you defeat your enemies by going and either shattering them or poofing them and bubbling them. So, uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to get some sappy lovey-dovey ending at the end. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, well, not really sappy, but eye-rolly, similarly, the off-color jumps not knowing what a compliment was. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I don't really know how useful that detail was for me. Like, eh. But, oh, well. <laughs> well, I mean, you got to have Rodanite self-loathing in there a little bit. Yeah, I I noticed during this that Pad Paracha has been given, given the least personality out of all the other uh, off-colors yet. Like, she's still kind of just a gimmick. Because all the other off-colors actually had a reaction to what Garnet told them. But had Prasha just continued predicting fast yeah. events. So I, I, I'm a little disappointed. Like, did she not get to talk in any other way besides past predictions? I am glad to see that she had a utility. Yeah, she seems like a malfunctioning appliance. Yeah. A very cute malfunctioning appliance. Don't get me wrong. And that's fine. I... She just stands around and smiles, and everyone pats her on the head because they think she's adorable. Yeah. It's nice that they showed her past prediction ability actually having some utility so that Lars stopped pressing the wrong button. That happened in Lars of the Stars as well. She explained to everyone that Emerald deliberately missed. Yeah. So basically, Lars's gambit worked. Yeah, that's true. That wasn't just... Yeah, that actually helped them make another choice. So, I don't know how I feel about that, either. <laughs> With that project being, like, oh, her brokenness is still, like, useful. Because I was kind of like, have her broken, but also just love her. But also, she would need to have an actual character for that to happen. So, I guess if she's not going to have a personality, we'll just give her a utility and call it a day. <laughs> so, maybe that's all. It's kind of disappointing, though, that that's all characters like her will be. Like, I wonder if the off-colors come back to Earth how much more we can really get out of them. I mean, I think that Rodanite and Fluorite, like, probably has the most interesting story out of all of them. We always want to learn how fusions were made. Like, I think there's more to dig in there. I mean, definitely more to dig in with the sixth gem one, which also just left me. Yeah, Fluorite. Oh, I wasn't thinking of Fluorite the first time. I was thinking of just the two. She is Rodanite. Rodanite. And it's the twins of Rutile. Oh my goodness, can keep up with all the names. Rutile is the twins, and I was trying to not say Rutile by saying, ah. yes. Oh my goodness. All colors. Yeah. There's so you many of them. Twofers. That's why they need more stories that keep making them distinct. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping we do get the tale of how Rodanite was created. Yeah. Well, because for someone who's so timid, she made a pretty bold choice. Oh, yeah. I don't really see very much of a ruby in her at all. You know, rubies are scrappy, but we're getting all of the pearl timidity out of her. Yeah, that's something with Garnet. You know, we kind of had, besides when she was just kind of totally mysterious, we've always seen her have that duality of personality we can see both express. Haven't gotten that at all from Rodanite. I don't really see two people. As Bismuth said, every so often, her ruby shows. Right, and there's basically, I don't know what is the split there. We've only seen her just be timid, afraid. So, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe they're both timid and afraid. Yeah, but you want to move on to the big show? Yeah. Um, I really like the film effect in this. <laughs> that really uh, enhanced, in a show that doesn't always have, unfortunately, like the most interesting animation 
this was great. I actually liked this effect. It wasn't like cheap at all. Uh, it really enhanced the feeling. The fact that they had to make every transition be movement by Steven, you know, it was cool. It it wasn't it wasn't distracting. I will tell you what I loved about it was when it comes off at the end for the performance. Yeah, that was great too. That makes the performance really pop. Mm-hmm. And I love Steven's excuse for it, that the early years have to look like early footage. Yeah. Um, I mean, Steven, fun. you know we can add that all in post, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think that was those, whoever ended up executing that did it really well. Like, I don't know how they actually went back and, like, how do you coordinate between storyboarders and the person who has to animate sort of the movement that has to be happening from Steven's shoulder. But But it was cool, and they really got that effect of, like, having to pan from face to face and, uh, you know, just the little transition effect to look cool. So I like that. Uh, as much I I really came to like this episode after watching it for the second time, but there are a couple things that annoy me. Like when Sour Cream's like, oh, hey, Sadie, yeah, come listen to the song we just did. And she shows up and we can't hear anything coming out of the laptop speakers. And he still has the headphones around his neck, but she's like, oh, yeah, you know, I can hear that. <laughs> yeah. And then that she's got the flashlight on her microphone, but flashlights don't work like that, uh, just like in Dugout, because it's illuminating her face, even though it has to pass through that microphone bulb. Hmm. Come on, guys. Yeah. I will say also, uh, this is definitely one of the things we got wrong. I believe it was uh, you that called out Buck's uh, werewolf outfit, and it uh, was a witch's cat. We were all okay, fooled. Now- now, to be fair, Greg was fooled by that outfit as well, so... Right. They definitely tricked us all, so... I mean, they pulled one over on us, I will admit that, but, I mean, not even Greg saw it, so... I'm just saying. This episode did contain my favorite quote of the bomb, uh, hearing... Uh, <laughs> Buck's they were clip-ons. About... Just oh, Buck's... Oh, that I nice. actually like that joke a lot. Yeah, his little speech about the band breaking up was was funny. But I just love the idea of, like, <laughs> did you ever learn to tie ties? And no, they were always, because he's so against everything his father was doing, they were clip-on. So. Ah, uh, classic Buck. Buck, Buck, Buck. Yeah, Buck had some good stuff. I wonder if Greg's going to get his 75%. Yeah, you know, Steven said he hasn't burned through the money yet in the next episode after buying a telescope, but we got to be getting close, right? Yeah, he, he is investing in them, so he's going to need to see a return. <laughs> I mean, he's not only got the sweat equity, he's also got the cash equity in, so. Hmm. How do you feel about the actual story of Sadie dealing with her mom? I mean, Barb hasn't has been kind of a barbarous character to deal with, so, <laughs> like, do you think that they're reaching a good conclusion? I thought Barb was being very well-behaved in the episode, and so I, I like the fact that Sadie's finally come around, especially since she thought that Sunshine was her and was kind of happy that she was there. Or so she thought. So I, I think I think they found a happy medium, and I'm happy about that. Yeah, it's like they didn't excuse, you know, Barb still has to control herself, and like they've learned, shown that she knows that now. But now Sadie kind of has gotten to learning that her mom is still pretty cool for actually being interested in what she does. It's not totally just her trying to take control of it. She actually cares about her daughter. I like that little speech from Greg. Greg being a cool dad is always cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked that Barb 
Barb's saying, oh, I could probably use it if I ask nice, and I could definitely use it if I don't ask. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you know, until they find me taking from the lost mail bin. Yeah. That's the kind of girl she is. Barb, Barb gets a sick satisfaction of doing things <laughs> the, in the dark alley. She has a copy of the Big Donut Key. I mean, I would not be surprised if next season they had to get into the Big Donut, and Barb's like, oh, I still have the key. <laughs> would not surprise me at all. So, speaking of people we didn't expect to see in The Big Donut, uh, yeah, that was really surprising when Garnet was just showing up. That oh, is not at all yes. what I thought Pool Hopping would look like at all. We did not get Death Rag, and we did not get Son of Death Rag, but <laughs> I'm glad because the episode just could not have accommodated such tunes. I'm glad they didn't try to force them in where they didn't belong. This was a great Future Vision episode, though. I agree that I love... Garnet's sort of realization and movement in this episode. It was nothing like what I thought we were going to get. I thought maybe they were just going to go crazy with coming up with timelines. The episode description was a little misleading and not just in the normal way that Steven Universe episodes are misleading. I thought it was going to be just running around checking out crazy timelines for funsies, but this was creating crazy timelines for training purposes. Yeah, that was really unexpected, which I guess was the point. Mm-hmm. Although, again, coffee does not work like that, guys. Yeah. Still, wonderful illustration of her concept. Which Stephen actually understood, Garnet. I do like the detail that Garnet said at the beginning, you know, that she didn't predict that Stephen would understand her explanation. Because she hasn't been taking Stephen like a growing boy, you know? Yep, and, and now we finally have an explanation for future vision that makes sense. You know, they they finally buckled down and given us an episode that makes it, for the most part, clear why she can be so accurate and yet so fallible at the same time. Although I still think that Future Boy's Ultron was just, okay, now you're just showing off. Right. I mean, she just, it's clarified. She doesn't see the future. She just has incredibly good calculation. Like, she can go with based on what's most probable and see branches from that. But she knows she can't see branches that... She doesn't see coming. Like, she has to have some data beforehand. We're kind of skipping to the end. I don't like that they... I I liked the first resolution they had, where Stephen was like, let's just choose the timelines we want to be in. Let's make choices. The world doesn't just happen around us. We can help cats. We don't have to wonder what happens. And I was like, what a great idea, Stephen. But then they had to wrap it up with two bows and say that, oh, Garnet's... Future Vision's actually going to be completely fine because all she had to do was change how she saw Steven. And I was like, I do like that, that we're learning that Steven's grown. But also, did we really have to say that Garnet was going to be 100% okay again? Like, why can't we have a little bit of brokenness going forward? Or, like, actually have to use the first lesson we just learned, which is, let's make choices. I guess we learned both. Eh. I mean, we did get to see Cat Steven sleeping on Lion. Very true. I am excited to see Cat Steven in many more adventures. Hopefully utilize way more than that pink cat that Gunter randomly birthed in Adventure Time. <laughs> I actually want to see Cat Steven, you know, not show up Just two hanging around later, blowing up stuff. Yeah. Or or she can be like Baby Teeth in that she only exists in the background in episodes where she is involved. Yeah, I'll be uh, happy to see Cat Steven anytime. Uh, maybe this can be Pearl's first chance to use shapeshifting again, you know, starting with cats, just like Steven did. You know yeah, obviously. <laughs> we, we've taken 
Cat Steven to the pet groomers to clean up a great error. Pearl, you're gonna you're gonna have to shapeshift into Cat Steven so Garnet doesn't realize what happened. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I think that's it. That's the story we tell. I think that ship it straight to Cartoon Network, get the episodes made. We're done here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Approved. Hmm. Now, if I, I was thinking that if Steven wanted to be more random with the delivery location, he should have had him deliver it to the Beach City Walk fries. They would not have expected that. I do like how Steven's choice really wasn't that unpredictable. And Kiki was just like, uh, you mean... Huh. Yeah, you mean out? pick up? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Steven. He tries. He tries so hard. Yeah. Also really trying hard that uh, Painting by Vidalia... Seemed like a perfect thing to put up on the Cartoon Network store page. Like, people probably <laughs> want that printed, right? I'm not the only one. Want their, want their Steven cherubs? Yeah. Also, the first time we've seen a, or it's been a long time since we've seen Nude Steven, pretty much since Frybo. So, welcome back, Nude Steven. And even then, it's only a painting. Hmm. Letters to Lars. Letters to Lars. So, I joked that this one would be the story of how Mayor Dewey became mayor of the donut shop. And I i gotta be honest, I didn't expect to be right. Yeah, you were dead on. And meanwhile, I was saying, wow, Stephen must be writing letters to Lars because really big things have happened. But in a different way, that sort of happened. Lots of small things have been happening in Beach City. They really tried to show off that the status quo really has changed. Yep, by showing us the new status quo. <laughs> Peridot is improving improv, and Pearl is apparently practicing her heckling. Yeah, well, so the Pearl moments in this episode were really great. I like seeing her cell phone, which... Oh, that was so adorable. The only, you know, at least in fan minds, we were thinking she might have a phone because she got a number from Mystery Girl, and I can't think of any other reason why she would have a phone right now. Yeah, well, remember, they did show us Mystery Girl in the audience in the big show. Mm-hmm. So then two episodes later, they show us Pearl and her new cell phone. Who might be coming to the Sadie Killer concert in Beach City? I hope, I hope, I hope. I just, I, that's totally interesting to me, what they do with Mystery Girl next. That's like, it was already such a big step for Pearl in moving on. I mean, talk about <laughs> shaking up the show, like another human hanging out, dating Pearl with the crystal jumps. I just, crazy to me. But yeah, big emphasis on Mayor Dewey. He's really, he was a sad sack for a lot of it. And then his, uh, his attitude really changed when he was able to put his name on every donut in the shop. I don't know how healthy that is for him going forward. Except for the pink Lars. Yeah, except one donut. We named the pink donut after Lars. Everything else is the Dewey special. And <laughs> I don't even know. It's, uh, I'm still worried. I don't think, I don't think Dewey's been resolved yet. He, I'm still worried. That's okay. He'll be the best mayor the Big Donut has ever had. Also, um, the question of how the Big Donut is managed still has not been answered for me. I have no idea how, I, I don't think actually anyone owns it. I think people walk in and make the donuts or not, and that's it. Yeah, but apparently. No one hired, Garnet just showed up. She started serving them. Dewey just showed up. No one, like, is... I have no idea how they get paid. It's just, like, I... There's no help wanted sign posted ever. Doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, the Big Donut is an enigma. Maybe it's run by Sneeple. Honestly? You might be onto something. 
I mean, is it any coincidence that Ronaldo was outside there making a big show about wondering why the Big Donut was still still closed? I think he's making an alibi. What the whole time Ronaldo was feigning an interest in Sneeple, going so far as to even prove that he wasn't a Snurfson by attacking Steven, who he quote-unquote believed to be a Snurfson because he is actually a Snurfson. Well, I mean, just think about it. If you're a Snurfson and you don't want anybody coming after you, what is the best way to make sure nobody comes after you? To make sure people consider the idea of Sneeple ridiculous by making it seem ridiculous. Ronaldo's operating on a whole other level. I think that's the only likely timeline, honestly. Although we do, you know, as far as things leading into this possible two-parter, oh, we're definitely saying Ronaldo's the one discovering Lars now. Or not Lars, Lapis, right? Yeah, and then he's going to show show her to Steven, although I still like the idea that he thinks it's a smudge on the lens and he's too clever to fall for that. And Steven's like, wait, a bard? Yeah, actually, that sounds like exactly the kind of joke they'll make, that Ronaldo doesn't actually find the thing that's important, but it'll lead to it, so. I don't know how they get up there, but they do. I think I think Lion probably takes them, I'll bet. Yeah, um, I mean, it's not. it's about the max distance that Lion can go at this point. It'd be nice if they uh, repaired the warp pad. Because Cartoon Network has had another commercial that includes Steven coming out of a bubble from the moon base. Oh, I haven't seen that. So they're going to go talk to Lapis in this episode. Yeah. That's just the way that this bomb's happened and that two-parter overall is happening. Kind of hypes me up for what (laughs) the last ten episodes of the season is going to look like. Because we've kind of set up everything as you know, this new status quo for Beach City. We've given Lars the thing to be doing in space. Everything's kind of like settling out. And so we kind of can be prepared to launch whatever craziness is going to happen uh, with Homeworld. I will say this, though. I do have a complaint about Letters to Lars. It may be my favorite episode of these four, but I, I object very strongly to the portrayal of Beach City Underground Wrestling in this one. And you know what I'm about to say. Yeah, I saw the post. <laughs> Anyone who saw the Lunar Seaspire podcast Tumblr post knows what I'm about to say. When they say Concrete Heat fought against the Wolf of Wall Street in a steel cage, that was not Concrete Heat. That was Chunk Truck, his tag team partner. Which I, you know, I think there's something behind that. Gotta be. They know what they're doing. They they know what they're drawing and what they're writing in dialogue. This is no mere coincidence. Well, I, I will say this, though. In pool hopping, Buck Dewey had a doppelganger. So perhaps, perhaps there's some shape-shifting going on with the brothers' construction that we're not aware of. But there were two Bucks in the beginning of pool hopping. One walking with sour cream and Sadie, and one getting donuts from Garnet. So What? That's bananas. So things might be getting a little crazy. Steven didn't notice, but we saw. But uh, as for the concrete heat and chunk truck, maybe give him a name tag? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I gotta say, I was pretty um, I was pretty taken aback by the portrayal of a plunger in this episode. <laughs> Jamie, you know, his acting career is hurting my soul. He, this is hard to watch. <laughs> this improv class that he's been teaching. I like all the posters of his potentially yes. self-starring shows. 
An intimate evening of song and seduction. <laughs> that took me back to theater one, seeing his, uh, <laughs> him balancing the plunger. I think Amethyst had a point on this one. That was, that was rough. Also, Mayor Dewey's, uh, joke coming out <laughs> as a waiter. And Mr. Smiley, just happy to be there. Yeah, just happy to be there, not being voiced by Sinbad or anyone. So, uh, I mean, he's he's getting the opal treatment now, oh, but they already got a replacement voice actor for him. I don't get it. I don't know. It's kind of weird to draw characters in that don't actually say anything. But that's it. We need a we need an episode where Opal and Mister Smiley team up <laughs> in a silent film. Yeah, it sounds great. That would actually be very funny. I think uh, I think it could work out. I feel like Mister Smiley's the kind of guy who you know is he really just running a funland all day. Clearly, it's uh, something else in the background. But really, really, we would need Frowny to come back as well. That'd be pretty cool, an agent Frowny and Smiley duo. Because he looks like the kind of guy you'd see in a silent film, so obviously he needs to be there. Yeah. Oh, but I I enjoyed these four episodes. Like, basically, basically, my appreciation for them just goes up as we go through it, I, I thought Your Mother and Mine was okay. Uh, not not the greatest. Uh, the Big Show, really good. Pool Hopping and Letters to Lars, mm, love that. Yeah, I mean, the flashbacks weren't exactly, like, revelatory in Your Mother and Mine, and it was just a little weirdly framed overall, just, like, randomly bringing Garnet in, and then the off-colors being sort of weird. I did think it introduced an interesting possibility for Lars. We had kind of speculated before... Like, why isn't he coming home? And it wasn't because Emerald was still a problem. It was just because the ship needed some resources. Yep. Theoretically, he could be able to get back in time for Sadie's concert. There were people who were suggesting that as a possibility, although that'd be that'd be wild if he just crashes down on the stage at the concert after after they get Lapis back, or at least talk to Lapis. Mm-hmm. She might not come back. I probably will, but she doesn't have to. Yeah, I was trying to think about how Lars would return, and uh, he definitely can't just suddenly be there, as far as, like, you know, it's just like, oh, we never talked about Lars coming back, but, oh, there he is now, we just went over to Lars's <laughs> house, and he's there. So it's either got to be, like, yep. an episode where he returns, or some over-the-top moment that's like, oh, he's at the concert suddenly, or, oh, they're in a fight, or some dramatic moment's happening, and boom, Lars and the off-color show up. So, um, that'll be... Interesting to see how that pans out. Now, if it were OKKO, we could end up with a guitar duel between him and Emerald at the end of the concert. And I, you know, let's not keep that out of the realm of possibility. Let's see Emerald come back. I mean, like you said last week, she's not, I'm not really sure how she's defeated yet. Nope. She is very much in the game. Yeah, I, it could still be, still be a guitar battle in, in the cards. We, we can only dream of it, I think, unfortunately. <laughs> so, I, I do think that these, at least for me, kind of subdued my uh, expectations a bit, or subverted them a little bit. I, uh, you know, wasn't expecting the letters to Lars to work out quite the way it did, or or the pool hopping to be the the way it went. So that just intrigues me for how they will continue to subvert my expectations. As Garnet said, they're at the edge of <laughs> possible <laughs> realities. So let's see how crazy they go. Yep, again, I, I love the Townie episodes so much. If they just if they just wanted to make a Steven Universe series, like after the main series was done, that is nothing more than gems and humans 
doing stuff, like, I would watch that series. I would love that. Honestly, that's what the heart of the show is, right? It's Exactly. And there are people who are like, if, it, if it's not story arc, they don't even want to know. And I'm like, you never would have been able to make it through season one if you didn't <laughs> know the return was coming. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, that's what the show's about, though. And, you know, also, Garnet was kind of the main gem featured this time around. I'm ready to start seeing Pearl and Amethyst be integrated a little more again, because that's another part of these Beach City stories. Pearl needs some more spotlights. I, I loved what she got in Letters to Lars, but she needs more spotlighting. Yeah, I do think over time, although who knows how much time we have left in this show, since no announcement for any season past this, and we're See, what, running out. 46 episodes after this, I believe. 46? Uh, it's either, no, I think it, hold on. I, I, I have it I have it saved because I, I can never remember the number. I think it's 16. Okay, so yeah, two 16-episode seasons after this. Okay. So we should get some time with, you know, having Pearl maybe go farther with Mystery Girl. And, uh, you know, we're seeing Amethyst and Paradox sort of just in, improv club and stuff. That's the kind of things that bring those two worlds together, which makes the universe interesting, that fantasy world mixing with reality. So it'll be fun to see how much more they can do with that while also facing the much more problematic combination of those worlds with Homeworld <laughs> on the horizon. So. Oh, that's what we need. We need Emerald doing an improv skit about how she's going to capture the off-colors. She could do a one-gem show about it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, she'd, she'd be up for that, probably. <laughs> she's already running a one-lady show. She <laughs> is such a ham. She would, to she would totally do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you have anything else to say? Uh, now we're waiting. What What's the date? We, is it a May? Is it May? The two-parter is May 8th, or is it sooner? The two-parter will be on May 7th, it is. May 7th. We're going to get the four episodes airing weekly on Mondays, and then it's going to be followed up the next week by a two-parter. All right. Well, now we wait. <laughs> so, everybody, join us next week uh, since... Your mother and mine will not be airing until the evening. We will be discussing the OKKO season finale that will be airing this Friday on the 6th. Until then, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Uh, don't forget to leave us a great review on iTunes. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.